heard about the healings and the, those things, and they're kind of there on the fringe. They're trying to see and learn a little bit more. In today's society, they would call them seekers. They're there seeking to learn a little bit more about Jesus and to, and to find out a little bit more about him. There were some who were leaning toward Jesus. They'd been on the fringe, but now they've probably heard him speak a couple of times. Maybe they've seen him heal the blind and the deaf and, and those things. And, and they're moving from the fringe to, to being a committed follower. And then there are those there who are just completely committed and sold out to Jesus. They're going to follow him no matter what. Now this sermon is addressed primarily to those people who were committed, to the committed followers of Jesus, those disciples who had bought in. The rest of the crowd is listening with a lot of interest, and they are really amazed at, at what they're hearing because they have never heard anyone teach the way that Jesus Christ teaches. They've never heard anyone teach with the type of authority that he uses in his teaching. So, he makes a statement here on in to the Sermon on the Mount. It's in a section there about uh, right before loving your enemies. And it's, it's uh, a lot of your scriptures that would probably say, uh, have a title there that talks about retaliation. You have to understand the people that Jesus are uh, the, that he's talking to. They want to retaliate. They are being oppressed in such a way that no one has ever been oppressed before. Someone had the Roman authorities have come into their home, and they have set up their structure and their laws and their way of doing things. And the Jews are waiting on someone to come and deliver them. And so a lot of these people who are there are listening to Jesus thinking maybe he is the one who's here to lead us against these Romans and to overthrow this occupation. Let's read more than just uh, verse number 41. Let's read verse, beginning in verse 38, he said, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Let's stop right there for just a moment. How many of some how many of you sit here thinking this morning, if somebody slaps you on your right cheek, how many of you are going to stop and turn and say, Okay, well, here's this one too, hit it? That's the astonishment that these people are in when they hear him. And then he says, if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And here's our verse. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. So, this is astonishing stuff to the Jews who are listening. Now, on Saturday the 22nd, last week, we were asked to go to a place called Guanacastal. Guanacastal is on the slope of a volcano, an inactive volcano, about an hour away from Chinandega, Nicaragua. And we were asked to go there and to do a worship service. And, but first we were asked to go door to door and make visits. Now when we think door to door, we're thinking here in Piedmont, 
um, rows of houses neatly uh, and with house numbers and things. That's not what door-to-door is in Guanacastal, Nicaragua. Door-to-door is climbing and going and continuing to climb and to go and finding a little hut here that's made out of corrugated tin and there's constant smoke coming out of each one of these. They have to keep a fire going just about all the time for their cooking and all the other needs that they have. So you will walk a couple hundred yards and you'll see nothing and then all of a sudden you'll see four or five of these little hut-like houses together. And so we would divide up and we would go and we would share with them up until just a couple of months ago, this would really have been what Jess Jennings would consider to be an unreached people group. No one had ever been there before to share the gospel with them, but the church that we have a partnership with, Mount of Olives, has begun to go there and establish a church. So we go and we do that and we come back and we have a worship service there together with them and... And it goes really well. There's probably close to 90 people who are there. A lot of men who normally, uh, we were told, would not come to a worship service. A lot of men. Now, they said they stood on the fringe away from everyone else, but they did come to the worship service. So we all left excited about what had happened. Well, later on in the week, things change a lot on these mission trips. So later on in the week, Pastor Omar comes to me and he says, I need you and the, and the other men who are with you to go back to Guanacastal. We're going to do another service. And we need you guys to go back and do some more door-to-door, some more praying, some more witnessing. So I said, fine, we'll, we'll, we'll do that. So myself, Gene Smith, Jeff Graves, and Tony Kerr, we go back to Guanacastal. They load up on the back of a truck with a bunch of other people. One of those trucks with the, the bars all around, you know, where you see people just packed in going to the fields to work. Um, I got to ride in an air-conditioned truck while they did that. Um, I, there were a lot of ugly things said about me. But we got there. And we went back to this village. And we climb up this volcano. And we're going and we find new homes. And we tell them. And, and the church that is there, uh, Mount of Olives, is preparing a meal. And so all the people who are coming to the service are going to be a part of a meal. So Tony Kerr and I partner together. We get with Pastor Omar. He's our interpreter. And we go and we share the gospel. And we invite people to the service. And things are going really well. And, and he, Pastor Omar looks at his watch and says, we need to go back for the service. So we say, okay, great. So there's a couple of people from Mount of Olives who are with us, a couple of ladies. So we walk down. We have to walk down before we walk back up again. And one of the ladies tells our interpreter she knows a shortcut. So Pastor Omar says to us, she knows a shortcut. And Tony and I are like, thank you, Jesus. Well, this shortcut was, um, it was, I, I, it's hard to describe. It was straight up. And it was just ruts all down it. You had to be real careful where you placed your feet. And you just keep climbing and climbing and climbing. And Tony is trying to get way ahead of me. 
Because Tony wants to get to the top way before I get to the top so that he can video me sliding back down at some point. But I'm, I'm going and I'm climbing and I'm climbing and I'm thinking shortcut. Maybe I'm just, our interpreter misinterpreted shortcut. And when we get to the top of the hill, Tony can't make fun of me anymore. He's out of breath. I'm out of breath. We have to lean on each other. We put our shoulders on each other's shoulders, and we're just sitting there. We're just heaving, trying to get our breath. Well, we have to walk another 50 yards over to where the people are. There's about 100 people there waiting on us to do a worship service. And they're waiting on me to preach about the second mile. And I feel like I've just went the 26th mile in a marathon. So I get over there, and the pastor hands me a microphone from that's hooked to an electrical system. And I thought about you, Danny Pointer. I knew that if you saw that electrical system, you would have knocked the microphone out of my hand. But he hands me a microphone, and I looked at him, and I said, is there anyone who could sing? And so they start talking, and, and I hear what I think is gringo out of breath. Can somebody sing? And so they get someone to sing a couple of songs, and Tony and I are over, and, and, and Gene and Jeff, are, 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 they, didn't get, they didn't have to take the shortcut. So they're kind of looking at us like, I don't know if y'all going to make it the rest of this trip. But I was able to preach afterwards, and I was able to preach the sermon that I'm going to preach to you this morning about going the second mile. But as I was preaching that sermon to them, I understood more. I understood why God told me to take that sermon with me, the sermon that I was prepared to preach this morning, to take it with me and to be prepared to preach it. So in our common language today, going the second mile is a common phrase. But it comes from first century Palestine here where Jesus is preaching this Sermon on the Mount. The Romans have conquered most of the Mediterranean world. And one of the marvels of their conquest is their road system. They have, in a short period of time, built a road system that is 50,000 miles in existence. And on that road miles, there are what they call guidestones, what we would call signposts today. But there are, there are guidestones. And those guidestones tell you how far you've been on this road and how far you have to go to the next city. And every guidestone tells you how far you are away from Rome, which explains the phrase, all roads lead to Rome. So these uh, Roman roads are amazing. They're incredible. And they are the greatest marvel of their time. And Jesus is sitting here on this uh, mountaintop and all out in front of him and uh, with all these thousands of people who are gathered, they're watching people walk along these Roman roads. Now, a part of the society that they live in says this, if a Roman soldier or a Roman citizen stops you and gives you their backpack or their military equipment, if you are a member of a conquered land, you are required by law to take that backpack or that military equipment, and you are required to walk one mile with it, or you're in deep trouble. So if a Roman soldier stops you and hands you all of his equipment, you have no choice 
but to take it and walk one mile. Now, at the end of that one mile, the Jews would hand that military equipment or that backpack back, and they would spit on the ground and curse because they hated the occupation of these Romans so much. And now Jesus, as he's speaking to this crowd, and he's looking at these Roman roads, he's probably watching as Jews or, or Palestinians are having to take these heavy bags and walk one mile with them, and Jesus uses it as an object lesson. And he points and he says, if someone compels you to go one mile, I'm telling you to go the second mile. And so this just really is amazing to these people who have been under Roman occupation and he's telling them to do something to go further with something that they hate. But as we think about it in our lives, what is it that separates some people from others in athletics or education or business or in any endeavor? It's to drive to do more than what is expected of them. And Jesus is saying here, if you want to be a witness to these people, I'm telling you, you have to go further than what the law requires. It, the, first, the first mile is a mandated mile, and it's motivated by the law that they're under. The first mile is often ignored in, in, in Scripture. Um, we don't hear sermons about the first mile. We don't read a lot about the first mile. But the first mile is what's required of us. The first mile is the hardest mile. The first mile is the mile where we're interrupted in our lives. Um, the second wind never kicks in on the first mile. It's not easy to enjoy things we have to do as it is to enjoy the things we want to do. The Christian life has its own mandated mile that's motivated by God's law. And it's tough to get started sometimes on the first mile any first century jew under roman rule would have told you the first mile interrupts your life now think about this you're a you're a jew and you're walking somewhere and you're in a hurry you've got an appointment to make you've got someone to see you're going to check on a family member and you're going in this direction and a roman soldier suddenly stops you and says take this bag and we're going in this direction and you have no choice but to go. It takes you out of the way. It takes you away from what you're wanting to do. And it sends you in a different direct direction. We swallow our pride. And we bear an extra burden. Many of us who are Christians here this morning. Remember a time in our lives when we were going in a certain direction. And we had things to do. And we had plans for our lives. And we had goals and objectives. And we had our life mapped out. And one day we met Jesus on a road. And Jesus is going in the opposite direction. And Jesus says, whoa, stop. You're not going that way anymore. Here is a cross. And I want you to take this cross and I want you to follow me and go in a different direction. There was that moment when Jesus walked into my life and he said, you're not going in that direction anymore. The direction has changed. And it was an adjustment for me. It was an adjustment for you. But I knew that it was what was 
required of me as a Christian. Um, it's true with most everything in life. That first mile is the hardest mile to get started. I said to Bryson last night, I said, Bryson, where's my gym key? My key that gets me in and out of the gym. He laughed at me. <laughs> he said, it's in my truck. He said, what do you want with it? I said, because Monday morning, I've got to start, Bryson. I've got to go. I said, Al, if I'm going to continue to do these trips and I'm going to continue to do uh, if I'm going to be, someday I'm going to have grandkids. I can't keep up anymore. Now let me tell you what, tomorrow morning or tomorrow afternoon, the hardest thing that I'll have to do tomorrow, and Randall's looking at me like, I'm going to call you. The hardest thing I'm going to have to do is to stop what I'm doing and make it intentional. I've got to make it intentional. What about your quiet time. What about your devotion? Are you intentional? How hard is it for you to stop everything that's going on in your life and saying, I am intentionally every single day going to take time, pull away from everything else, and I'm going to listen and hear from God. You have to be intentional. It's that first mile. It makes the difference. It makes it, it, we have to be intentional in doing those things. Um, when we start exercise, dieting, any other discipline. I can remember when I was uh, early on in the youth ministry. Uh, our girls from Spring Garden, they were the best basketball team anywhere you could go and watch. And I, those girls were in my youth group. And during the summertime, Brittany Jones is up there somewhere. Brittany was one of those girls. And in the summertime, those girls ran. And they would run, and they would run, and they would run. And I would ask them, I said, y'all ever get tired of running? I said, y'all are always running. And they would say, yeah. You know, it's hard, but once you get to doing it, once you get used to it, you just keep going, and you just keep trying. I saw Brittany in the hallway this morning, and her daughter was outrunning her by a good way. And I said, Brittany, I never thought I'd see another girl outrun you. But here's what would happen. I would go to their basketball games, and they would play girls from much bigger schools. They're a 1A school, and they would play 4 and 5 and 6A schools. And in the sun, there was always this point in the second half where the Spring Garden girls were going back and forth like crazy. And the other girls were holding on to their gym shorts like, like this, going like, like me and Tony at the top of Guanacastal. But it was what they did in the summertime that made them so good in that next January and February, nobody could keep up with them. It's how we live our lives every day with intentionality as a Christian. It's what we do in that first mile. It's how we take God's word. It's how seriously we take our prayer life. It's how seriously we look for opportunities to serve other people. That's what Jesus is talking about here. We want to enjoy the second mile, but we don't want to deal with the requirements of the first mile. Now I'm challenging you this morning to go to the first mile and to put the time in and to put the effort in and to see what God does for you in your life. And then there's the miracle mile. The miracle mile is motivated by love. O.S. Hawkins calls the, the second mile, he calls it the smile mile. 
It's where God blesses us. It's what separates individuals from others. The second mile is, is made possible by being obedient to the first mile. The second mile has a way of making our life as a Christian much more enjoyable. Imagine this. There's a first century Jew who's working at his trade and he's making a living and he's, he's involved in what he's doing. Maybe he's a carpenter or maybe he makes leather goods or maybe he's a tent maker, whatever he is. And a group of Roman soldiers come to his door and they, they tell him, stop immediately what you're doing and everyone who works with you, make them stop and they, get our, they hand everyone their bags or their, their equipment and they say, take them a mile down the road. Well, what if you are that Jewish man and you stop what you're doing and you go that first mile and as you come to that mile marker, you don't stop. And that Roman soldier says to you, whoa, wait. You're only required to go here. But you look back to him and say, oh, come on, let's go another mile. What does that Roman soldier think of you? In, in, in uh, um, Shenandoah, they call Tony, Tony Kerr, Loco Tony. He's not here, so I can say that. That Roman soldier thinks you're crazy. But as you're going that second mile, and that Roman soldier asks you, why are you going this second mile? What is wrong with you? And you say to him, a man named Jesus. I heard a man named Jesus speak, and it changed my life. And he told me that I was required to go the first mile, but he put such love in my heart that I used to hate you, and now I love you, and I'm going to take you on to the second mile, and I'm going to tell you all the time as we walk that second mile, I'm going to tell you about this Jesus I know. Here's what I'm, here's what I'm challenging you this morning. Don't miss those first mile opportunities because those first mile opportunities give you the opportunity on that second mile to go and tell other people about Jesus. To, when you get that person, when, when you have done what you're supposed to do, and you continue on in that second mile, after you've gone further than what people think is required of you, that's when you're able to tell them why. That's when you're able to tell them, I'm doing this because Jesus put a love in my heart, and, and that's, I want to go that second mile. It gives you the opportunity to witness. I see examples in our church of this all the time of people who go the second mile with family. People who many times might, might do something to help a family or to help an individual, to help that person out, and then stop there. But many of you just continue to go on, and you continue to go on, and you continue to help, and you continue to meet needs, and you continue to bear burdens. And you continue to help. And you drive back and forth to hospitals. Or you drive and fix meals and take the homes. And you do these things. And you go all these extra miles. 
And you don't know how many times I've had families say to me, families who aren't a part of our church, say to me, I saw how you loved my family and it made a difference in how I feel about church. Don't miss those first mile opportunities. I saw examples on our trip of when we were gone uh, away for these seven days. Rhonda Blanchard will give her testimony tonight, but I sat next to Rhonda on the plane and I could tell that there was an anxiety in Rhonda that you could feel it. And I knew that it was a great sacrifice for her personally and she was still, while we were sitting there, she was still wondering if she was in the place she needed to be. And then we got stuck on a runway in Miami for about an hour waiting on a lightning storm to pass. And if you've ever watched those news reports where people flip out on the airplane and go crazy and they escort them off with a taser, I understand why now. It gets hot on the airplane when it's stuck there. And I'm sitting there to myself, and I'm complaining in my heart. And I said, you know, Lord, I wanted to take a direct flight with Delta, and I didn't get to take that direct flight with Delta. And the Lord said, if you'd have took that direct flight with Delta, five people with you wouldn't have got to go. Five more people got to go because you, and you're unwilling to sit here on this runway, and you want to whine. And I said, okay, you win, Lord. I watched as people got out of their comfort zones. Some people are not huggers. Some people are not, you know, they're, they're just not. And everywhere we go, people want to hug you and people want to embrace you. Mia's not a hugger. And as we're walking into this, um, into this church there that first night, they're lined up on both sides and, and they want to hug us. But on that last night, they line us all up in front of the church, and they're going to hug us again. And I looked out of the corner of my eye because I'm worried, I'm, I'm afraid Mia's going to faint. But I watched tears stream down her face she's, because from the time she met him the first time until that night, she'd fallen in love because of the love of Jesus in her heart. And she was hugging people. I don't know that she was just grab bear hugging, but she was hugging and we were able to go the second mile because we went the first mile. When we take this journey on a miracle mile, we lighten the burdens of other people around us. When we travel the second mile, we influence others. In your home, if you're willing to go the second mile, you can change the whole environment of your home. In your workplace, if you're willing to go the second mile, you can change the whole attitude of your workplace. It only takes one person who's, who's a second miler to change things around them. This miracle mile, the second mile, is motivated in us by the love of Christ. Now Jesus gives this object lesson here about going the first mile and the Sermon on the Mount is over later on. And Jesus would continue to journey all throughout Palestine. Preaching and teaching with authority and healing people. But there was a day where the first mile ended for him. 
the first mile began for him on an evening in Bethlehem as he left the throne of heaven. And his brother Ed Kugler used to say so well, he condescended to this earth and put on a robe of flesh. And he began his first mile there as an infant in Bethlehem. And he walked throughout this world healing and teaching and preaching and changing lives. All the while knowing that there was going to come a day where he would have to walk a second mile. And on that second mile, they would put a cross, they would put a beam on his back. And he would have to walk up a hill called Calvary. And he would have to journey that second mile and suffer the worst punishment and execution that has ever been known to man. And he didn't have to. Jesus didn't even have to begin the first mile. But he knew it was the Father's plan before the creation of the earth that someday he would have to come and not only go the first mile, but the second mile. He told one of his disciples, he said, do you not realize I could call 12 legions of angels and I could put a stop to, to everything? But he went on and he kept every detail of the plan. He went the second mile because he was motivated by his love for us. He spoke everything we see into existence. He created everything that we know. He created us. He knit us in our mother's womb. But he went on the second mile. And he said, I'll go the second mile. Because I want you to be able to come to the Father and have eternal life with me. I met a young man one day who went the second mile for me. I met a young a college student from, from West Georgia who stopped on a hot summer day on a beach in Panama City. And I watched him walk past a hundred people to walk up to me and to witness to me and to tell me about Jesus. In the midst of sin that would just blow your mind, he stopped and he spoke to me. And he told me about the love of Jesus. And he explained it to me in a way that no one had ever explained it to me before. And the Holy Spirit began to work in my heart. And oh, how I wanted to let go of that life that I was living and follow him. I just didn't. And in this past week, I've stood with young 16 to 25 year old and and I've I've watched them as people would share the gospel with them 
probably for the first time, and I have watched the Holy Spirit, I have watched Him just work on them, and I have seen them get to a point to where all they could do is look down at the ground and consider the situation of their life. And I've watched them look up and say, later. I don't know the Spanish word for later, but they would say later. Whether they were in the city or whether they were up on the side of this volcano, some of them would say later. And I would ask them, can we pray for you? And they would say, sure, you can pray. And they were ready for us to go and leave them alone. Because they'd never been under conviction before. And what we would pray for each one of them before we left them is that they would have a later. Was that that seed that had been planted, someone would come later and lead them to Christ. Finish that process of them coming to know Christ as their Savior. That young man who took that time from me planted a seed in my heart that wouldn't go away. And about a year later, I broke under conviction and gave my life to Jesus Christ. There was a later for me. Because someone was willing to go the second mile for me. You see, we see all these great things in the Sermon in the Mount, and we think these are great tools, these are great things for us to live by every day. But really, the Sermon on the Mount is evangelistic because it is showing us that we can't, in our own nature, in our own nature, it's not our nature to go the second mile. It's not our nature to turn the other cheek. It's not our nature not to want to get revenge. But it's God's nature that comes into us that says you can live this life and you can be this person. My thinking as I read this is that these Romans built this great system of roads saying all roads lead to Rome, but later the disciples would use these roads to say that all roads lead to, all roads lead to Jesus. And this week, my challenge to you is this. If you are here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus, you're a believer in Jesus Christ, my challenge is pray for second-mile opportunities. Commit yourself to going the first mile and then pray every day, God send people in my path that I can take the second mile. And I promise you He will. I promise you He will. I promise you that next Sunday morning, if you will live that way, that you'll come here next Sunday morning and you'll say, Michael, God placed this person in the, in the grocery store parking lot. Or God placed this person at my place in work. Or God brought this person into the business where I was. Or God brought this person to my home. Pray for those opportunities. Don't let them pass by. But my biggest challenge this morning is to those of you here this morning who can't say that I have been forgiven of my sins. I know Jesus Christ is my Savior. My biggest challenge this morning is just for you to begin that first mile. You're going in a direction. You have a plan for your life. You've got it all mapped out, and you know where you're going. Let me tell you something. Jesus has a better plan. And he's here this morning, and his Holy Spirit is speaking to you this morning, pointing you to him, and he's saying, begin this journey. Begin this journey with Jesus. 
I can tell you that if you're here this morning and you don't know Christ as your Savior, there's not a Christian here who wouldn't look you in the eye and say that they regret that moment when they changed directions. So this morning, I'm asking you to change your direction and follow Jesus. Mike is coming this morning. He's going to lead us in a time of reflection and invitation and worship. I'm going to be here. And I will take God's word this morning. And I'll show you how to begin that journey with Jesus. That first mile. And God will begin to change. He will change your eternal destination this morning. And then if you'll continue following him. To change the course of your life forever. I'm not telling you he'll make you rich. I'm not telling you that he'll bless you with perfect health the rest of your life. I'm not telling you that you won't wake up tomorrow morning and not have any problems. But I'm telling you that he will be there with you. His promise was, I will go with you even unto the end of the age. Stand with me as we pray. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would point people to Jesus. That if there's anyone here this morning who needs to come and know Christ as their Savior, that they will boldly proclaim it. If there are those who need to follow in baptism or church membership, whatever decision they need to make during this time, may we use it wisely. God, thank you for going the second mile through Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. It's a wonderful thing to stand here this morning and welcome people and, and to hear young, young people come and to be able to explain, biblically explain to me what they've done and why they are a Christian. It says a lot about the home that they're being raised in. It says a lot about the commitment of their moms and dads and their grandparents committing to getting them here to this point this morning. I'm going to ask Micah to lead us in one more course. If you have any decision that you need to make public or if you need to come this morning and find Christ as your Savior, don't wait till later. Today is the day of salvation. Come here, Abe. Now, either myself or Brittany will have to do all the talking here because uh, Seth won't be able to talk. <laughs> but earlier this week, um, I saw a post on Facebook while I was gone, and Seth shared about how he was able. Um, Reed has been asking questions. Uh, about becoming a Christian and, and knowing Jesus. And he explained to his dad what Jesus did on the cross and taking away our sins. And he explained to his dad that he understood that he had to have forgiveness for his sins. Um, the only thing he's ever done wrong is probably being too cute. <laughs> he's just handsome. But he knew because mom and dad have raised him to know and have taught him to know and so this morning Reed comes 
And he told me that Seth is his brother now, his brother in Christ. So we rejoice with Seth and Brittany. And later on this month, we will get to see the, uh, Seth had the opportunity to baptize Reed. What a joyous day that's going to be. Um, wonderful, wonderful things. You looking, some of you may be looking and saying, well, these children sure are young. Well, here's what we do at this church. From the time they walk in the door for the very first time, we begin teaching them about this moment. We're not just here playing games and we're not just here having fun. When you pick your kid up from from preschool here, don't ask them if they have fun. Ask them what they learned, and they'll tell you. Because we teach here, and we want these young children to make this decision. Because we live in a world where out there, outside of there, they're going to be told that everything we believe is false, that it's a myth, that it's a fairy tale, but they can't believe it. But they know something in their heart this morning that they will be able to live for the rest of their life. And know for certain. So you continue to pray for them as their parents disciple them. And as we continue to, to lead them to grow up to someday lead their children to Jesus Christ. Amen. You committed to that. Amen. Jeff Graves is coming to close us in prayer. You stand as Jeff comes.